Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the New Testament to Colossians chapter 1. <clears throat> Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to begin reading in verse number 21, but our primary focus is verses 24 down through verse 29. I, um, last quarter in school, I had to write a paper that pretty much any pastor who's ever been to Bible college or seminary, has to write at some point a personal philosophy of ministry. And that paper really sort of turned into this sermon. And I used this particular passage because as I was reading it and preparing to, to write that paper, I began to notice that this seemed to, to be Paul's philosophy of ministry, and who better to base my own philosophy of ministry on than the Apostle Paul? And so the subheading in my Bible is Paul's ministry to the church. We're calling this Paul's philosophy of ministry today. Begin reading with me in verse number 21. It says, And you who were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, He is now reconciled in His body of the flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under the heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the Word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to His saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. May God add a blessing to the reading of Scripture. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank You today for Your Word, and I pray that You would speak to us through it. May we not only be hearers, but doers. Help us to take what we learn today and to apply it to our ministry. It's in the name of Christ we ask these things. Amen. And amen. In an article entitled, Why is the Preaching of God's Word Vital for the Health of the Local Church? 
One of my favorite preachers, Stephen J. Lawson, writes these words. The preaching of the Word of God is so critically essential for the spiritual vitality of every church because it is the primary, ordinary means of grace. You take that away and you have removed from the church God's primary means by which He is pouring His grace into the lives of the congregation. Listen, God had only one son and He made him a preacher. He didn't make him a blogger, didn't make him a dramatist. He made him a preacher. Didn't even make him a writer or an author. He made him a preacher. And that should really serve to show us how important preaching is. Amen. Today's text is profitable for those who are in pastoral or vocational ministry. But it's also very helpful for every believer because fundamentally we are all called to this ministry here in this local church. And so Paul is describing his own personal philosophy of ministry, but it's applicable to what we do. And it shows us why we do what we do as the local church. And so I just want to dig right into the text this morning and begin to unpack these verses of Scripture beginning in verse number 24. And the first thing that you'll notice with me today, Paul speaks of a proper ministry attitude. A proper ministry attitude. Notice verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of His body. That is the church. Notice what he says at the very beginning. Rejoiced. Rejoiced? In sufferings. That does not make sense, humanly speaking. Romans 5 and 3 speaks of exulting in tribulation. 1 Peter 4 and 13 says to suffer and rejoice as you suffer. Acts 5 and 41 tells of the apostles rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer. Why? Well, Paul tells us first because his suffering brought good to the church. He says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking. What? Why? For the sake of His body, that is the church. Without a willingness to suffer, there would have been no church in Asia. John Newton, the author of that beloved hymn, Amazing Grace, once said that God appoints His ministers to be sorely exercised, both from without and within, that they may sympathize with their flock and know in their own hearts the deceitfulness of sin the infirmities of the flesh, and the way in which the Lord supports and bears all who trust in Him. And for Paul, this was a cause for rejoicing. But secondly, Paul described his suffering as filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Now this is one of the most difficult verses to unpack in all of the Holy Scriptures. And there are many different interpretations about what Paul did mean and what he did not mean. This is not our primary focus this morning. 
But I want to share with you what R. Kent Hughes says in his commentary about verse 24. He says, this is one of the most debated verses in all of Scripture. And whole books have been written on its interpretation over the last 2,000 years. We know it does not mean that Paul made up that which was lacking in the atoning sufferings of Christ. For the whole of Colossians, as well as the rest of the New Testament, teaches the sufficiency of Christ in atonement. Paul did not help with atonement. That was Christ's work alone. But one thing that the phrase does teach for sure, and everyone agrees on this, is that a close identification develops between Christ and the church through suffering. And I would say amen to that. I've said this publicly many times, even recently, but if you look back over the history of our family, if you follow the the family tree of the bride of Christ, the people of God, we have spent far more time in suffering and in persecution than we have in comfort and in ease. And so it's nothing new to us as the people of God, but I agree with that statement that a close identification develops between Christ and the church through suffering. And Paul is saying to us here, we need a proper attitude. We need to check our attitude, so to speak. We need to know what to expect as the people of God. We need to know what we're, what we're up against, so to speak. Before Paul's Damascus Road encounter, he had been making Christ suffer in the people of God, in the church that he was persecuting. And in Acts 9 and verse 4, he heard that voice on the highway and it said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Jesus was being persecuted in his followers. But immediately after Paul's conversion, Jesus said, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Now Paul would suffer and Christ would suffer in him And Paul rejoiced in the oneness that he felt with Christ through suffering and through persecution. And he knew that that suffering was good for the church, that it brought them a special closeness with Christ. And that is why Paul prayed from a Roman jail, I want to know him, Philippians 3 and 10 and the power of His resurrection, and share His suffering, becoming like Him in death. Paul knew that it was miserable. He knew that it was a hard road, a difficult thing. But the resulting union with Christ was wonderful. Some of the most joyous and committed Christians I've ever known were people who dealt with pain and suffering. Because in that pain and suffering, there was a special bond, a closeness with Christ their Lord. And so Paul tells us that we need a proper ministry attitude. But continuing on, he he points us to our charge for this ministry. Our charge for this ministry, beginning in verse 25, he writes, of which I became a minister 
according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Verse 27, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. This charge has preaching as its main function, but especially biblical exposition. The phrase, to make the word of God fully known, that you see in verse 25, literally reads that I might complete the word of God. And the idea is to lay out the word of God, the Holy Scripture, so clearly and so completely that it brings a completeness that Paul speaks of. You see, the truth is that people cannot know Christ without knowing the Scriptures. We cannot fully know Christ without knowing His Word. The Bible tells us even that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That's why you need to be under the ministry of preaching. You need to sit in the sanctuary. You need to hear the preached Word of God on a regular basis so that your faith will increase. Preaching must open the Word of God. And he gives us the specifics of this preaching in verse 26 and 27. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of his mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul's preaching set forth a mystery. That doesn't mean it was confusing, but it was a mystery. Namely, that, that in some way, God's saving purpose was going to be extended to the Gentiles. If you're a, a cross-reference person, write down Isaiah 49 and 6, Romans 15, verses 9 through 12, that describe that mystery. From the ancient Jewish perspective, that seemed impossible. You see... Jews and Gentiles were not friends. They did not get along. There was no love lost between them. But the prophesied reconciliation of Jews and Gentiles, it was a mystery to those people. They could not wrap their minds around it. Then Christ came and the wall was broken down. Jews and Gentiles began establishing shalom, Peace between one another. And the mystery that Paul is talking about here is that the Gentiles would be fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ. Ephesians 3 and verse 4. It is a mystery. Jews and Gentiles would, would sit down at the same table. They would break bread Together, they would count themselves one in Christ. That is a miracle that we should thank God for. You see, for you and I are Gentiles. And this had all come about, verse 27, because of Christ in you, the hope of glory. The indwelling of the Lord Jesus Christ is what makes this ministry possible. That is our charge. 
And I want us to know and understand that this same thing can happen today. One of the greatest glories of the gospel is that it brings people who are different together. That's one reason why I speak out like I do against woke theology, critical race theory, intersectionality, and even cancel culture. Because all of those things that we hear about and that are being shoved onto us today do nothing but divide people. They claim that the end goal is is equality, but it does nothing but divide. But the Bible tells us here, Christ in you, the hope of glory, it unites, it brings down walls. And so I will not spend my time worrying about theories of man. I will not spend my time getting wrapped up in those ideologies because I have all that I need in the Word of God. Christ in you, the hope of glory, that is our charge for this gospel ministry that He has called not only myself and Pastor Tim to, but all of you here this morning. Continuing on in verse 28, Paul points us to our purpose in ministry. Our purpose in ministry, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may all, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Hughes writes that Paul's goal is nothing short of presenting to Christ complete, mature, full grown Christians. He was not into the I'll save them, you raise them type of thinking. Rather, his great joy was to present to Christ believers who have reached their maximum earthly potential. Almost like parenting, my job as a father is to raise and to train my child so that she grows up into a respectable adult so that she has the tools that she needs to live her life on her own one day. And Paul is saying our purpose in this ministry is to present to him mature Christians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. What is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ is at His coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Listen to Paul's benediction in 1 Thessalonians 5 and 23. He says, Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul's means of of bringing believers to maturity, according to verse 28, it was threefold. He mentions three things here. Firstly, proclamation. Warning and teaching. He proclaimed Christ, proclamation. Christ was the beginning and the end of His message. It was everything in His preaching. I quoted George Whitfield the other day, that great quote that maybe you've heard where he said, other men may preach better than I, but no man can preach a better gospel. And Paul says that's what we proclaim. That's our proclamation, but he also speaks of warning. When the preaching of Christ brought converts in, new converts, 
Then Paul began to spend his time warning everyone, it says. And this means that he corrected and he admonished them. He instructed them. He did not shrink from that task because he cared. It's one of the hardest jobs of being a pastor is to warn, to correct, to admonish. But it's worth it. Just last night I sat down with a Christian brother and we began to talk about some friends of ours who were slipping away from the church. And he, he told me, he said, I, I hate to put this on you, brother, but as close as you are to this individual, you need to correct him. He's not a member of our church. It's not anyone that you know, but my friend told me you need to speak into his life. You need to correct him. Him, Not as his pastor, I'm not his pastor, but as a Christian brother, I need to warn him of the dangers. And that's your job as well. If you see a brother or sister that is, that is straying from, then you need to grab them and pull them back in. You need to warn them. You need to admonish them and correct them. That's our purpose. That's our calling, proclaiming Christ, warning everyone. But then he says, teaching everyone. Paul proclaimed Christ. He warned, he taught because he truly believed that Christ was for everyone, Gentile and Jew, so he taught. And thank God for, for Mr. Al and other men in our church who, who spend their time preparing to teach you, to help train you. Thank God for Christian parents who in their home, they will train up their children. It's our duty. It's our purpose. It's not only my job or Pastor Tim's job. It is our job. That is our purpose in ministry. But Paul finally points us to our source of strength for this ministry. Verse 29, he says, For this I toil struggling with all His energy that He powerfully works within me. This is the Wes Johnson paraphrase. You cannot have a biblical effective ministry without hard work. There will be no revitalization in this church without hard work. And that is not only, again, my job or Pastor Tim's job but it is your job and your duty as well. 1 Thessalonians 2 and 9 pictures this for us. It says, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. I read years ago about Moody, D.L. Moody's bedtime prayer on many occasions. He would roll himself into bed as tired as he could possibly be because he had spent the day laboring and traveling and teaching. And he would say, Lord, I'm tired. Amen. How many days like that have you experienced? I'm sure you have. But how many days like that have you experienced because you poured yourself into the ministry of the church because you labored in the gospel. John Wesley, it was said, rode 60 to 70 miles a day many days of his life. 
And he preached an average of three sermons a day, whether he was writing or not. He labored. He toiled. Now, I know we can't all do that. Pastoral ministry may not be your gifting and your calling, but laboring for the Lord is. Ministering with the body of Christ is. Giving yourself away for the kingdom of God That is your calling. But what is true of the minister, it should be true of everyone in the church, the church, the the people who bear the name of Christ. And Paul's drive, his ministerial drive, is a model for all of us, whether we're an apostle, a pastor, a teacher, or not. We will never have an authentic ministry if we are not willing to work for it. I hope you see this morning your calling. I hope you see the need for a proper attitude. That you've been charged, that there is a purpose, but also that there is strength, as it's told us in this text. The ministry of the gospel is a glorious thing. There's no higher calling than to work for God, whether that's in this position or on the other side. There's no greater thing that you can do in life than spend yourself for the kingdom, for things eternal. And it's our call. But I want you to see as we close that we do not do it alone. Because Paul tells us, for this I toil. Struggling with all his energy. It's not human strength, brothers and sisters. But it's the power, the energy that he powerfully works within us. I say thanks be to God for that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for faithful pastors and elders, deacons, Sunday school teachers. We thank You for for faithful church members who will work for the kingdom of God. And Lord, I pray today that we would realize that all of us are called as Paul said, to this ministry. All of us are called to participate, to proclaim the gospel, not only with with our voices, but also with our lives. And Lord, I pray today that you would give us everything that we need for this ministry. And your word assures us that you will. And we've seen today the attitude that we need. The charge to proclaim the gospel. The purpose of warning and teaching and admonishing. It's hard, Lord. It's work. But the promise in Scripture today is we do not do it on our own. So grant us unction from on high. Give us a greater portion 
of Your Spirit so that we can do what You've called us to do. In recent days, I've prayed this over and over. Lord, light a fire in Your people. Light a fire in me. Light a fire in Pastor Tim. Light a fire in our families. Light a fire in Pine View Baptist Church. For Your glory, Lord. It's in the name of Christ we pray and ask these things. And God's people said, Amen and Amen. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.